welcome to the Dolby Anglican podcast. My name is David Brown and I'm one of the ministers in Dolby Anglican Parish. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 24 verses 36 to 44 as part of a new series called Redemption Songs where we're going to focus on a different Christmas carol each week of Advent. But in Matthew 24 Jesus says, But about that day, or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is the word of the Lord. Enjoy the sermon. Happy New Year, everyone. Just like that, we've reached the first Sunday of the church year and Advent. To celebrate a new year, we're starting a new series called Redemption Songs, looking at Advent and therefore Christmas through carols. The first carol we're going to focus on is Go Tell It on the Mountain, which was first put to paper by this man, John Wesley Work, Jr. Work was a genius, a polymath. He studied Latin, Greek, and history at Fisk University and later Harvard and taught and published at university level. Work was a choir director in Nashville, Tennessee and was part of the Mozart Society. It was there that he developed a passion for Negro spirituals. He would have heard his fellow African Americans singing these songs out in the fields and was one of the first people to publish a collection of Negro spirituals, as most of the people who knew them couldn't read or write. Since then, Go Tell It on the Mountain has become one of the best-known Christmas carols, but has also become a redemption song, a song of hope for people who are suffering and waiting for a better world. One version of the carol tells the story of Christmas, Down in a lowly manger, a humble Christ was born, and God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Another version speaks not of Jesus' first coming, but of his second. He made me a watchman upon the city wall, and if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. It's here that this redemption song intersects with Jesus' redemption song in Matthew 24, where Jesus says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. These words come at the end of Matthew, which is a book we'll look at a lot in the coming year. Jesus is getting closer and closer to Jerusalem, and so he tells his disciples how to live in the in-between time the time between his first coming and his return. It's here that we see that the readings traditionally chosen for Advent have much more to do with Jesus' second coming than with his first. Advent is a time to slow down, to fast, to pray, 
to think and remind ourselves that Jesus, our King, will return. And think about what this means for our lives. Our reading from Matthew today is part of Jesus' much longer answer to his disciples' question at the beginning of Matthew 24, where it says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the mountain of olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Notice these are really two questions. Before his crucifixion, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and then goes straight for the temple where he teaches his disciples about how they are to live once he returns to heaven. In verse 1, he tells them that the temple, which was meant to be the center of all life, was going to be destroyed. History tells us that Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled in AD 70 as Roman armies squashed a rebellion in Jerusalem, burned the temple and broke it down stone by stone. For any Jew, this would have seemed like the end of the world. And so the disciples ask, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus doesn't give them a time, but instead promises that the temple will be destroyed but this will not be the end of the world. Then he goes on to explain in verse 30, which we just read, the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Friends, this is great and glorious news for us today. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are part of the elect, those Jesus is coming back for at the end of time. We all have an understanding that this world won't go on forever. But for Christians, we take Jesus at his word, that at the end of time, he will return, not as a baby in a little town, but as a king. While many people miss Jesus' first coming, Jesus is telling us that all nations on earth will see him coming with glory and power. Those who belong to Jesus will be gathered to him. This news has given comfort and hope to people across the globe for over 2,000 years. From the first followers of Jesus, to the people working in the fields singing, Go Tell It on the Mountain, to us today. The reality that Jesus will return is good news. God will not allow this world to keep going as it is. (coughs) God will not allow the injustice, hardship, violence, and sin of our world to go unchecked. The pain will end. Suffering will end. The frustrations of our fallen world will end. This is good news. Some have tried to tell us that Jesus was deluded or simply wrong in saying what he said about his return. They point out that it's been 2,000 years and Jesus hasn't come back. But 2 Peter 3.9 tells us the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, 
but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus' return is a central reality of the Christian faith. From Matthew to Revelation, the whole of the Bible tells us that we are the second Advent people. We live in the joy of knowing that Jesus has died for us, that he has risen, and that he will come again. This begs the question, how should we live in light of Jesus' second coming? Should we find the signs in the weather, on the news and in the Bible? Should we bunker down and make sure that we take care of ourselves before Jesus' return? These are the questions that Jesus addresses in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, 36, Jesus states quite unequivocally, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. What this means is that no one knows when the end of the world will happen. It doesn't matter if you have a Bible college degree, or you've read the latest book by Guru Magoo, or you've been to the conference where the guy explained the secrets of Revelation and how China is this and Russia is that. If Jesus tells us that he doesn't know when he is returning, then I'm sorry, but you're not smarter than Jesus. While the Bible is full of signs and symbols, the big message from Jesus is that he is coming back. And nobody knows when. This hasn't stopped a legion of doomsday prophets telling us they know when the end will come. The Jehovah's Witnesses alone have wrongly predicted the end of the world at least eight times. To emphasize how the end will come at a time when no one expects it, Jesus uses the example of Noah in verse 37. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus uses the example of Noah for two reasons. Firstly, because the flood was not a local thing. It was a global thing. A judgment and renewal of God that happened to everyone. The second reason that Noah's story is used is because it gives us a picture of a long time of waiting and a sudden conclusion. The other example Jesus gives is that of men working in the fields and women working at a mill. These are everyday examples of people working. Some are taken up and gathered. They are the elect, and others are left behind. What's important to note here is that the people who are taken aren't separate or superior. They're not taken because they've studied the signs and they're ready. They're just going about their everyday lives when their time comes. This is an important reminder for us that Jesus' return could come at any time, and we can't be flippant or complacent. As we saw, said last week, we can't put off coming, committing our lives to King Jesus because we don't know when the King will return. So if we can't find the signs and predict when Jesus will return, perhaps we should bunker down so we're ready. People have tried this before, so we only need to look at history to see how this turns out. In the 1930s, a kids' church leader by the name of Victor Hutef led a group of people committed to renewing the real church. 
this group decided that the best way to be Christian was to remove themselves from the broken communities around them and commit themselves to holiness in a new community. They formed a commune, shared everything, and grew in numbers. A succession of charismatic and passionate leaders grew the commune until a man called David took over and claimed to receive direct messages from God. As the commune became a more loving and joyful place, David warned that Jesus' return was imminent and their way of life would be challenged by the outside world and that they needed to bunker down. So they armed themselves with over 305 small arms and prepared for the worst. On April 19, 1993, the FBI laid siege to the Waco compound where David Koresh and his Branch Davidians were holed up. The 51-day siege resulted in the deaths of 86 people, including police, women and children, children as young as one. Where did things go so wrong? For all his knowledge and charisma, David didn't understand Jesus' words in verse 42, saying, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know what on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. We don't know when Jesus will return. And so Jesus says we are to prepare as someone prepares for a thief. We don't turn our homes into prisons. We don't bunker down and wait for the thief to come and rob us. We don't remove ourselves from the rest of the, world, rest of the world so the bad guys can't get us or dig a hole and sit by ourselves in a darkened vault so that we can never be robbed. That's paranoia. That's allowing fear to dominate us and take our lives. Instead, we lock our doors. We buy security cameras if need be. We put our valuables out of plain sight. We live prepared, not paranoid. Jesus tells us it's the same with his return. He says, so you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We are to be calculated in how we live. We are to live in preparation, knowing the hour of our master's return may come at any time. So we need to make sure that when he does return, he finds us consistently, faithfully living for him. A couple of years ago, Zoe and I got home to see that we'd had a surprise visitor. A calling card from our real estate agent was on the table to let us know that an inspection had been carried out on our rental. The scary thing is, we hadn't been told the inspection was taking place. We didn't get the memo, and so we hadn't had an opportunity to make our place tidy. Fortunately, Zoe keeps our home looking tidy at all times. And I like mowing the lawn, so we passed our unexpected inspection anyway. This is how Jesus wants us to live. I'm not talking about tidy houses, I'm talking about faithful lives. The purpose of Advent is not to be ready to deck the, ball, hold, deck the halls with balls of holly. The purpose of Advent is to remind us what life is about. So many of us live life as if our personal success is all that matters. But what Jesus is showing us is that God matters. 
Jesus has given us security, security of knowing that when he returns, everyone will see him and not one of his followers will be left behind. So our call is to live lives that honor him. So to wrap up, I'd like to use the lyrics of our first redemption song to apply our passage. You see, the men and women who first sang these songs worked in the fields under oppressive slave masters. They found a way to overcome life's hardship by looking back to Christ's first coming and looking forward to his second. Friends, while their suffering threatened to kill their hope, our relative comfort and freedom in Australia threatens to kill our hope with apathy and selfishness. We need to rediscover these redemption songs and make them our own so God can redeem our lives. We need to rediscover these redemption songs and make them our own as God redeems our lives. The first verse of Go Tell It on the Mountain reads, When I was a seeker, I sought both night and day. One of the good things about people who try to find the signs is that they study their Bibles and try to get closer to God. Sadly, this comes from a place of paranoia. We should have the same passion for God's word and for a relationship with God, even when we leave the paranoia behind. Living prepared is about knowing our king more and more, so that when he returns, we'll know who we're welcoming and receive him gladly. The second verse of Go Tell It on the Mountain reads, He made me a watchman upon the city wall, and if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. The role of a watchman is to serve their city. Friends, we need to be prepared to serve Dolby. It's been awesome over the last six months to see how active St. John's people are in the community. We have people who serve with Meals on Wheels, Zonta, Life Flight, the Rural Fire Brigade, the Dolby Crisis Centre, Mother's Union, Lions, Cancer Council, and people who just help out their neighbours day to day. How good would it be if when Jesus returned, you were serving someone else rather than yourself? Our goal as Christians is for the Lord to find us living for him and serving others when he returns. Finally, the chorus of our redemption song reads, Go tell it on the mountain. While there aren't any hills in Dolby, our job is to tell others wherever we are about Jesus. And what better time than Christmas? We need to be prepared to share the wonder, the joy, and the simplicity of the Christmas message. The glorious truth that God did not abandon us in our sin but instead sent his son to live among us and to die for us so that death and sin would not be the end of the story. God is redeeming all things. The gospel is a redemption song. God hasn't made the world press play and then abandoned us. Jesus will return to make all wrongs right so we can live in faith not nervously studying the signs or bunkering down, but boldly living so that when our king, is re- king returns, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.